Hello, and welcome to Recap, Per Capita's research and policy podcast where we examine inequality and unpack our latest work in our fight for a fairer Australia. We're coming to you today from the lands of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation, whose lands were never ceded, and we pay our respects to their elders past and present. I'm your host, Emma Dawson, Executive Director of Per Capita, and this week I'm joined by our research economist, Sam Ibrahim, and his work, and mine, on the four-day working week at our community. Sam, welcome to the show again. Thanks, Emma. Um, so this report, this was a bit of a passion project for me in some ways. I've been banging on about the four-day week for years and it's uh, becoming a mainstream preoccupation of policymakers and a movement around the world. Um, and just as a bit of background, the purpose of this really is to recognise that productivity increases over the last hundred years or so have not flowed through to workers in the way that we would have expected and certainly in the way that uh, John Maynard Keynes predicted in 1933 in his essay, uh, Economic Possibilities for Our Grandchildren. He predicted we'd be working 15 hours a week by now because of the productivity improvements of technology and yet many of us are working longer hours than ever. I know you, uh, you share my view, Sam, that that's just not fair. It isn't. Um, I'm sure a lot of us would love to be working 15 hours a week and getting <laughs> our full salaries. Um, but yes, I think um, as productivity increases, um, we haven't seen um, that same increase in wages. We know that if, um, according to the productivity of about 100 years ago, we are, we are generating in about a day what we would have in a week. That's right. Um, and we're not seeing it. Mm. So things like this are really um, advocating for us being able to capture that progress. That's right. And um, we share a shared office space here, a community um, a co-working space at Our Community in North Melbourne. And the company that owns and operates this building, Our Community, um, is a non-profit, uh, it, it's a peak body effectively and, an, and a software uh, serve, a provider for the community sector in Australia. And they decided to try a four-day week and uh, as part of an international trial. Um, and they have done so over the last 12 months or so. And the, tell us a bit about the model there, Sam, because there are different models of four-day weeks around the world. Some um, suggest that you can reduce your working time but you also lose pay. That's not what happened here. Yes, so this is what is called an 80-100-100 model um, and that means that everybody works 80% of full-time hours but receives full pay and full benefits. Yeah. So that's just you reclaim, getting to reclaim your time and reclaim those hours back as we were talking about, because of productivity gains that have happened over the last 100 years. Yeah, and the 100 and 100, of course, refer to you get 100% of your salary, but you're expected to produce the same level of output of productivity, 100% mm. of the productivity mm. as previous. So it's about working smarter rather yeah. than harder. Yeah, and that at first sounds counterproductive, but there's unbelievable research all over the world from the OECD, Four Day Week Global, all of these amazing organisations that show as the working hours decrease globally, productivity actually increases mm. as well. Yeah. Um, this is seen in Iceland, Finland, the US. Um, Australia, surprisingly, in comparison to similar countries, is lagging in terms of how many trials that we have going on. The US has had several state-run trials, including in Massachusetts, Michigan, um, real um, working class areas like state workers, things like that. Um, the UK, as we know, with Four Day Week Global, which actually the Our Community trial was part of, had about 3,000 workers as part of it. So it's really gaining speed. Um, and also, unsurprisingly, Scandinavian countries yeah. like Iceland and Finland and so on. <laughs> They're always ahead of the curve on this work-life balance stuff. Um, 
Uh, and look, we uh, a little bit of background is about how we came to do this project. So we were approached by Dennis Moriarty, who heads up our community, um, and asked to uh, do an analysis of the trial here with a gendered lens, looking at the impact on different outcomes according to people's gender. Uh, and that while there was an international trial, um, an international analysis program of the trials going on, none of those were taking that specific gender lens. And we then uh, spoke to the Office for Women here in Victoria, who also uh, generously supported uh, this project. So uh, combined with our community to provide the resources we needed to develop the gender lens tools uh, so that we could apply that analysis and the the key thing here um, for me uh, as, a, as a researcher with feminist um, background uh, is that we know the biggest thing that holds women back from full economic security and economic equality with men is hugely dependent on the amount of unpaid labour women do in the home compared to men. Um, and it's important to note here that when we're talking about the gender lens and the data that we have and the experience of those heterosexual couple households, uh, we are primarily comparing the impact on men and women. Um, people of diverse genders will have different experiences. Uh, but we know, and research has shown for decades, that women do about 80% of unpaid labour in the home and even more of childcare. So what we wanted to see was if a shift to shorter working weeks, which would give people more time at home, would change the distribution, particularly of that um, of that pattern of unpaid labour, but also look at how different genders might um, experience the benefits or some of the risks of a four-day week. Absolutely. So. The way that we went about this um, was that we did a survey mm -hmm. um, for all of the respondents um, and we also did a time use diary. So we were able to see how the respondents felt about this, um, the trial but also how they were actually spending their time that was newly available to them. Um, and we did unsurprisingly find a gender difference. Um, pretty much every time use um, diary trial not just for four-day weeks finds a gender difference, but that's right, um, and that's in that's global. That's not just here in Australia, but um, yeah. So unlike what we've seen in a lot of reports, which is either a complete lack of any kind of gendered analysis or four-day week trial data, or just the blanket assumption that it will help and sort of eventually um, remove the gender imbalance of work in um, domestic work or unpaid labour, unpaid childcare. Sorry. Um, we found that there was a big difference in how men and women spent that newly free time. Yeah. So women overwhelmingly spent that newly free time caring for their home, caring for their children, whereas men spent that time um, a little bit in similar ways, but mostly in um, their physical well-being, their mental well-being. So that's exercising, that's socialising, that's um, spending time on hobbies and things like that. Leisure activities. Exactly. Leisure activities. Um, and look, we expected, I think, to see some of those patterns um, continue, uh, even with a shorter working week. Uh, we know that um, uh, that women will tend to traditionally, if they have extra time, they'll prioritise family needs before their own. Uh, and culturally, men don't feel the same pressure to do so. But we did find an increase in the amount of childcare, uh, a time that men in the survey and in the in the um, uh, trial spent on childcare. There was a significant lift there. Mm -hmm. So 21% of women reported um, an increased amount of time spent caring for their children, but 67% of men reported that increase as well. 
So in terms of actual hours, it might not have been what we expected, but it was a massive increase for men. Mm. Um, 62% of women and 92% of men reported an improved um, physical and mental well-being. Yeah. So that's what we were talking about in terms of um, there is an improvement just based on being at work less, but yeah. there's also an improvement based on be having time to go to the gym and mm. see a psych or <laughs> spend time with friends and so on. That's right. Um, so we'll come back to, to some of those uh, findings a little later on. But Sam, you were the lead author on the report that we've published about this analysis, Sharing the Spoils, a gender mm. lens analysis of the four-day week trial at our community. Um, I just want to go back a little bit because we were, as I said, really generously supported by the Office for Women, which gave us the resource internally to develop the time use diary um, mm -hmm. and the methodology for this gender lens analysis that we then hope we can apply to other trials of the four-day week. Can you Absolutely. tell the listeners a little bit about how you developed those analytical tools for us? Yeah, sure. So um, to be honest, there's not a whole lot out there in terms of time use diaries. For example, even the ABS at the moment stopped running its time use diaries a fair while ago, although they do have plans to now start them up it's again. coming back after much yes. lobbying from many um, feminists. <laughs> very uh, slightly because of a new government, but that's mm. something for another day. Um, yes, so there are a few time use diaries out there. Um, a really um, great um, one is the Office for National Statistics at, in the UK, runs yeah. a beautiful time use diary. Yeah, I think it's the best. Yeah which is what this one was based on. Um, so we allowed um, respondents to fill in how they spent their day. Um, there, there were no pre-filled categories. They got to say exactly what they were doing. And we had primary and secondary activities. And the purpose of that is because oftentimes people aren't just doing one thing. Right. Sometimes you're watching TV, but you're also making sure that your kids aren't running around <laughs> um, hurting themselves. Um, and that really became apparent in the responses. For example, there was one respondent, one response that I clearly remember. Um, the respondent said that they were knitting and that was that, that was a leisure activity and they categorized as a leisure activity. But then you see in the secondary activity that they were actually, in, where there was more detail, they were teaching their children to knit, mm. which I'm not sure that I would have put that down <laughs> as a leisure activity, but that's the point of these kinds of things because right. as people become more and more busy, as the, you have more of a workload, you start to, change how you define things in your life differently. Um, so for someone like that, um, yeah, teaching your children how to knit might be the calmest part of your day, so that's <laughs> a leisure activity, but not necessarily for um, someone of the opposite sex. For that's example. right. No, it's, and it's fascinating because the, the purpose of the time use diary, as Sam said, we, we know when we do surveys, people report their experience and mm. what they personally feel about yeah. what they've done but the time use diary allows us to drill down and say yes. well, actually what were you really doing and that's a really yeah. great example exactly and there's a lot of empirical research to show that um, in surveys there is a sex-based difference in that um, men tend to over-report the amount of domestic unpaid and also paid um, at their job labor that mm. they do um, whereas women tend to underreport both of those things. That's right. um, and there's a lot of debate as to why, whether it's socialized or like, um, and things like that. But it is empirically true that that's the case. So a time use diary sort of helps with that because the time that you start something and the time that you finish it is unchangeable. Um, although 
um, it's not perfect. It's about as close as we can get. That's right. It's it's the best uh, you can get, other than actually going into someone's home and observing them on a twenty-four hour basis, which mm. nobody wants to do and nobody wants to have done to them. Mm. I um, challenge you to act normally with someone watching you twenty-four-seven. <laughs> precisely, precisely. Um, but these are tools now that we've been able to develop that can be applied to other um, experiences, other trials mm -hmm. that might be going on of four-day weeks uh, uh, experiments here mm -hmm. in Australia. Four-day week international has set up a local arm here yeah. in Australia and there are other companies that are considering uh, trying this. Um, would you say the trial at our community was a success, Sam? Yes, overwhelmingly. So in the middle of the trial, um, the because it was such a success, it was um, a unanimous and so they announced that they would actually be doing the four-day week permanently before the end of the trial it was even reached and that was met with cheers and a lot of elation from everybody in the organisation and that's actually been reported on by several organisations like the ABC. Mm. You can have a read about that online. Um, but yeah, it was brilliant and I'd really like to in this moment like commend um, the leadership team at our community because they really took the time to at first before they started on anything really check in with their employees and see if the trial was something that they even wanted and for six months before the trial um, bring in a consultant so that they so that everyone's concerns and questions about the four-day week trial can really be addressed in its implementation and how it would be addressed going forward. Um, and that was managed by Sheena Cohen, Chief Culture Officer at um, our community, which um, is really passionate about this kind of thing um, and um, was a really big help in certain sections of the report. Yeah. So let's talk more generally about <coughs> the benefits of the four-day week. We sure. know you know, from the international trials, certainly from the our community um, experience here, where it has become a permanent feature, mm. uh, that, and and the concerns of some in the business community about this is a loss of productivity. But as you alluded to earlier, most of the companies that have tried this around the world have found not only does productivity not decline, but in many cases it improves. Mm. Uh, people are less stressed, they take fewer sick days, there's less absenteeism, there are lower rates of staff turnover. Um, and so all of these things are beneficial to business and there are environmental impacts as well in exactly. reducing the number of people on the roads, the number of people in the office, yeah? Yeah, um, actually just on that, there actually hasn't been a recorded case in Australia um, of productivity decreasing at all mm. um, and there are very few cases um, over um, around the world of productivity decreasing at all and most of those cases you can see it's clearly because it's sprung upon employees mm. and there aren't systems in place to make sure that there is an easy transition. Um, so the benefits of the four-day week are, first of all, it's um, tackling exploitation. So there's an simultaneously um, a problem in this country where we have a lot of employees who are overworked and also simultaneously a lot of employees who are underemployed. So this seems like um, this bizarre dichotomy, but um, really, a four-day week would help to shift that across more workers. Yeah, so that more, more even yeah. distribution of work, right? Exactly. Yeah. And uh, yes, less underemployment, less unemployment and so on. Um, it helps to tackle burnout. It mm. improves productivity, as we said. Um, there are broader social and economic benefits. There's um, economic um, benefits just because people have more time to go out and spend their money and enjoy their time. Um, there's, um, there is actually a massive benefit to um, 
gender equality, particularly in the sense that the vast majority of part-time workers are women. Yeah. So the people that would benefit from having their full-time equivalent hours, their pro rata um, hours increased mm. by the full-time being now defined as four-day week would be overwhelmingly women. Yeah. So that would be a massive shift in the current landscape in the labour market. Yeah. And again, this is because, of course, we know women, particularly in Australia, more so than the UK or the US, tend to work part-time after having children. Uh, we have a very sticky model of the neo-traditional family here with a, um, a, a full-time working father. And again, emphasising we're talking about cis-heterosexual couple households here, which yes. is the dominant household model, but also uh, the, the model on which we have the data. Um, so we know that women in those relationships will, after having a child, stay home for some time and then when they go back to work, they tend to go back part-time to allow themselves that extra time to accommodate those childcare and, and increased domestic responsibilities. But often, and this is a, a, a common lament amongst young mothers, they'll find they're still expected to do the same amount of work in the three or four days they go back. It's just that their pay's been reduced and they're working as hard as ever. So this would be a way of, uh, again, evening that out. Yes, you, you produce the same, but we're going to pay you full time for the same output. It's really about rewarding output, output. It's about rewarding productivity rather than time spent at a desk or time spent in the office, yeah? Yes, that's exactly right. Um, and as you said earlier, there are massive environmental benefits. We weren't able to um, measure carbon emissions for this particular trial, but all over the world in larger trials, there have been anywhere from 25 to 30% um, reduced in carbon emissions, and that's because of commutes, that's because of the lights being shut off, um, that's because on days off, people tend to ride their bikes rather than drive, things mm -hmm. like that. Um, there was a 36% decrease in absenteeism overall. At our community? At our community, our... sorry, yeah. yeah. That's significant, that's exactly right. you know, that's over a Exactly, third. yeah. Um, which, from a company's perspective, is money back in their pocket, yeah. which is incredible, and productivity that they can really capitalise on, um, which is something that is, I think, often forgotten about. With a four-day week, you get to have that extra day, yes, to spend doing whatever you want, but it's also those a lot of services are only available five days a week. Mm. So you don't have to spend um, your leave time to go to the doctor, to um, to see a psych, to do those appointments um, that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do. Mm. Um, also, oftentimes, to take care of your child yeah. if they hurt themselves or if they're sick that day because a lot of us can't afford childcare. That's right. No, and this is, this is a measure that gives people some time back. It's interesting. I talked to my father about this who... Um, uh, grew up in the north of England um, in a working class um, family uh, in, that worked in the cotton mills um, in the UK. My grandmothers and great-grandmothers and grandfathers all worked in those cotton mills um, and my grandmother's uh, generation from about the age of 12. Uh, but one of the things that was negotiated for that workforce back in the 1950s was a nine-day fortnight for mm -hmm. uh, female employees. And that allowed those women to have that time to go to the shops, go to the bank, do all of the, go to the post office. There was no online back then, of course, so everything had to be done in person. Um, and we still see those benefits today that we know it, you take a little bit of pressure off people and allow them to have an extra um, day to do those domestic chores, to do the big things mm -hmm. that need doing. 
um, then they have more time on the weekends to spend with their families and they just have a better sense of well-being overall. One of the challenges though, Sam, and let's not beat around the bush on this, we did, we did. I was, I was nervous about what we'd find. I've been a passionate advocate for the four-day week for years and particularly because of what I think um, will emerge over time in terms of evening up that unpaid workload that holds women's financial security down. Uh, we did find that men in this trial, the vast majority of them reported spending more time caring for their kids. Yes. Yeah. And we got a couple of people saying in the in the qualitative responses mm -hmm. that they were in doing that, they were able to allow, and let's be honest, very few participants, both partners worked in our community. So, yeah. But we had men here who were in uh, heterosexual couple relationships <coughs> with children who reported their ability to do more at home meant that their partner could either work more or study more or have more leisure time herself. Yes, that's correct. So that's something amazing that we could we could see a four-day week as a pathway to even social mobility, mm. just in terms of having time to study, either for yourself or for your partner. Um, we saw amazing responses, um, and a few of them um, are, are quoted in the report um, about people having being able to give their partner time to study, to just have a bit of time for themselves, to not have three small children screaming at them for eight hours of the day by themselves, you know. Um, Bliss. <laughs> exactly. Um, because five days a week has become the norm, but it's actually, uh, we have a long tradition of the, in this country of reducing working hours. Um, Melbourne, Victoria, sorry, was one of the first places in the world to adopt um, the 888 schedule, eight hours work, eight hours rest, um, eight hours play. Um, and I think we've abandoned that, unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. over the past 50 years or so. Mm. Um, and organisations have captured all that um, productivity gains and it's time we started shifting that back to people, not just in monetary value, that's a big part of it, don't get me wrong, that is <laughs> yeah. a very big part of it, but also just in time. Yeah. Um, it's not going to change that we have a limited time on this earth and I think 20% is a really big number in terms of how much time we can get back. That's right, Sam. I think, you know, we've, we've had pretty passionate conversations about this and um, I spoke recently at the commemoration of the eight-hour day yes. here in Melbourne. which Brilliantly, is, by the way. Oh, well, you're very kind. Um, something you feel strongly about, it's easy to talk about, right? Yeah. But, um, you know, we, we do. We're going back over 150 years since mm -hmm. those stonemasons marched for an eight-hour day here in Melbourne. Um, yeah. And then uh, because what a lot of people today don't realise is there was no restriction on working hours. When we first moved to an industrial economy, often people were working six or seven days a week. They were working 12-hour days. Mm -hmm. So this, this was something that was fought for by the union movement over many years and we yes. gradually then reduced... Uh, hours to a 40-hour week in about mm. the 1940s. And in 1983 in Australia, we uh, got in most um, award wage systems a 38-hour week. Mm. And that's 40 years ago and we stopped. Right. Productivity didn't stop Im improving. In fact, mm. we've seen some of the biggest technological developments, obviously with the internet, yes. in the 40 years since. So the four-day week's really about saying hey, our wages haven't gone up accordingly uh, to our productivity gains, and how about we get some time back? Mm. It's all of the same arguments that were being um, touted by the stonemasons and retail workers um, in the 1850s. Yeah. Um, and here we are in 2023, and we seem to have abandoned that. And by the way, all of those changes, all the way up until 1983, um, were thoroughly 
behind the curve in terms of productivity gains. Yeah. Um, all of those changes happened because we were so behind in how much we were working in comparison to what people were actually getting mm. back. Um, people were overworked, they're still overworked, but even more so back then. Um, and we're not seeing the benefits, right. and it's about time we did. It's absolutely more than time we did, Sam. Um, I think this is something that we uh, at Per Capita will continue to be very passionate about and push for because we do see this as a fundamental uh, part of having an egalitarian country, a country where ordinary working people have an opportunity for a good life. Whereas you say, there are opportunities for social mobility, that not all mm. your time spent uh, doing the grinding job that you need to keep a roof over your head, uh, but that you have some capacity for career advancement, for development of hobbies, for a, a bigger, more well-rounded life. Exactly. We're more than just our jobs. And I'd actually love to ask you, Emma, mm. um, you've been an advocate for the four-day week for a long time, long before it was fashionable, actually. <laughs> um, I was wondering how you learnt about it and what convinced you of its potential all those years ago? Um, I, don't, I don't remember finding about, out about a four-day week movement. It was more as someone that is a student of Keynesian econo economics and someone that um, feels pretty passionately about... Uh, gender equality uh, and had studied the the causes of women's lifetime uh, economic disadvantage and the, the, the lifetime earnings gap, we hear a lot about the wage gap, it's about 14% in Australia, but the lifetime earnings gap's more like 33% when you add up all those years women take out of the workforce, the loss of income from going part-time, the loss of pro career progression once they have children. became really clear to me that the biggest, and it's, it's all through the literature of course, uh, for years, De decades of, of feminist research and scholarship, that that unpaid domestic burden was the big one. Um, and then the other side of uh, a lot of work we do is looking at industrial relations, workers' rights, um, and the historical um, impact of, of the union movement. And it became pretty clear to me that we weren't benefiting from those product productivity gains. Um, so it's something I started thinking about independently was, you know, obviously there's a, there's a connection here. If we were reducing our paid working hours as we did in that sort of hundred years between the 1850s and the mid 20th century, um, when the union movements were growing in strength and workers' rights were really being well negotiated. If we had continued down that path, we would all have more time at home. And it sort of stemmed from my engagement with a lot of feminist struggles, such as Wages for Housework, which was a, a, a feminist um, movement in the 1960s and 70s. And I thought, well, I don't necessarily want to be paid to look after my child or paid to look after my home. What I would like is for my partner to do just as much in the home so that I have just as much opportunity outside the home. And so it became really obvious to me that reduced paid working hours without a loss of income because we have contributed these productivity gains uh, was the best way to do that. It really does come back to that idea, doesn't it? Equal opportunity. Yeah. Um, so you've obviously been an advocate of this a very long time. <laughs> um, as we see more and more corporates and organisations and non-profits, hopefully as a result mm. of this trial, um, joining the bandwagon, including Bunnings just recently. I know. Go Bunnings. Go Bunnings. Um, how do you see the movement of progressing over the next few years and how do you hope it progresses? Yes, yeah, so the, the Bunnings, I'm glad you brought up the Bunnings trial because I think that's really key to that question, Sam. A lot of um, 
opponents, and they will always be opponents of shorter working hours, they always have been and they always will be, um, will say that, well, this is great for white-collar workers in an office, right, but how does it work in a customer-facing role when right. you have to have your Bunnings store, let's use yeah. this as an example, open from 9am to 9pm, six days a week and, and 9 to 5 on the Sunday? Um, and the simple answer to that is rostering. You exactly. Know? And this goes back to your point about... Um, spreading the available work more evenly across mm. the community. Uh, mm. Now there will be there will be an impact on um, on the economic fortunes of companies that have to you know in increase the number of employee hours by sh by rostering those mm. um, staff uh, across their full time opening hours um, without a, a reduction in pay. But what we're seeing in these trials, and this is why it's so important that companies like Bunnings that are customer facing get involved in the trials, is the productivity gains will almost certainly offset any initial loss or, or shift from profits going to wages. Mm. But actually, we're not against a shift of profits to wages at per capita. We think that needs to happen. Mm. Um, and the recent spikes in inflation that we've seen are coming off profits rather than from wages would indicate uh, that we've got that badly out of whack. So we are unapologetic about saying some companies, that, particularly big multinationals that have been uh, reaping profits hand over fist and seen a, a lower share of productivity gains, by which we mean money, going mm -hmm. to workers, uh, will need to reconsider that, particularly if they want to hold on to a happy, healthy workforce. And that'll certainly help reducing inequality, which is something that we've been yeah. researching quite a bit recently. Yeah. Um, can see on our website. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, small plug. <laughs> yet an, yet um, another d fantastic data-heavy uh, uh, tool on our website that Sam has designed for us. Mm. Um, I guess I'd also love to know, because um, you did a landmark report, Measure for Measure, which was brilliant, by the way. <laughs> um, what did you expect to find in this trial, and what really surprised you? Um, I, I, so, yeah, the, the Measure for Measure, the gender equality report we put out in 2020, really did go through all of the reasons why women, and again, um, we're talking primarily about women in, in cishet relationships, why they experience this lifelong disadvantage. Um, and that really built the case that it was a combination of uh, the, the structure of our workplaces being less supportive of family life, women taking on more responsibility for family life at, at all stages of life. Um, and in really uh, added to my passion for a four-day week. I had hoped, um, and like I said, I was nervous, that we, we, it's a fa fairly small trial and a fairly small uh, uh, reference group that we've got here. So I knew we weren't going to get the kinds of um, empirical data that you get from a national survey. But I hoped we would see examples of um, men taking on more unpaid domestic labour in the additional time they had uh, by not pa working as many paid hours and see women's well-being go up. And we did see that to some extent. I also anticipated, though, having you know been around this conversation for a long time, that those cultural norms would prove pretty sticky. Um, mm -hmm. And that came through as well. We did find men were more likely to take some of that time for leisure as a first choice, whereas women were more likely to use it for uh, other ta ob obligated tasks. And that's a that's a sticky cultural issue that, um, that as you know, culture follows policy follows culture. So mm -hmm. uh, by making these changes, we can shift attitudes over time. And that's what I strongly believe came out of this um, analysis. Uh, and um, the tools that you de you've developed would allow us now to really drill down into that 
on other trials, and that's something we're hoping to do, yeah? Mm -hmm. Yes. So um, obviously a six-month trial isn't going to solve gender inequity as a whole. No. But it did make a massive difference, and that's what we're... I, anything that can make, I think, a big, as big a difference as this mm -hmm. is worth considering on the national level. Um, yeah, so um, it, this was a relatively small trial in comparison to bigger trials like Four Day Week Global in which there were over 3,000 workers total, mm -hmm. um, things like that. But I think we did a really good job in terms of the level of analysis that we did. Um, we um, focused in on areas such as mental and physical health, work-life balance, job satisfaction, and obviously domestic labor. Yeah. Um, all of these were specifically through a gendered lens, as we said. Um, we employed quantitative and qualitative analysis. We used um, a sentiment analysis using machine learning methods and time use diaries. And this was in part because we wanted to show categorically that in a space like the community sector, the four day week um, is just as effective because we know that in the community sector, it tends to lag behind a little bit, um, even corporates, because it's a little bit more conservative in um, fundamental shifts to the labor structure, Yeah, which is fair enough, just um, operating budgets are smaller. That's right. And um, yeah, um, so we hope to re-employ this uh, methodology, um, bigger and better in other organizations. Um, so feel free to reset to reach out, um, yeah. info at per capita if you have any inquiries about that. Um, yeah, we look forward to hearing from you. I absolutely back that, Sam. If you are a company here in Australia, big or small, that is thinking of trialling the four-day week, mm. um, you can get in touch, obviously, with Four Day Week Australia, but per capita stands ready to help you uh, apply a gender lens analysis to mm. um, what might occur in your workplace. And it's important to do that. When we talk about a gender lens as well, we're not just talking about finding out what works for women. We want to understand how people of different genders and different backgrounds experience shifts in the workplace um, because all of the research, all of the um, feminist economic and anthropological research shows that it's when men uh, make behaviour change in the workplace that workplace structures really begin to, to shift. Mm -hmm. I know this myself. Um, years ago I worked at Telstra which had just introduced an all jobs flex policy which meant uh, flexible working hours within a certain time frame uh, from work from home days all jobs were eligible to request those things and it was really critical that men took that up and said well I'm going to do the work from home day this week I'm going to leave early to pick the kids up because only then does that become something that becomes a an accepted workplace right for all rather than just a special allowance for mothers which can yeah. create even more mm -hmm. um, stigma and difficulty for women in the workplace so get on yes. board cishet men get on board absolutely on a fundamental level there's just a certain amount of childcare that needs to happen that's right they and can't look after themselves exactly right? <laughs> and if cishet men don't um, stay home to take care of those children, then it's mothers who are going to have to stay behind and take care of those children. Um, and I think this can really make a big difference in helping change that. Yeah. So get in touch with us uh, if you are interested. We will be obviously working with Four Day Week Australia and with the international organisations as well. This is becoming a growing movement. Um, but what we want to do is uh, enable companies to have the evidence space to uh, defend these changes, um, particularly if they're publicly listed companies to their shareholders, um, but also uh, community organisations, government organisations, to see that this is not 
not about reducing productivity, it's about increasing it. It's about creating a happier, healthier workforce, a more sustainable environmental footprint for business, um, and hopefully a greater balance between the, the sexes, between the genders, uh, and that burden, as they call it in economic circles, although I've never found caring for my child a burden, but that burden of unpaid labour. Um, Sam, great work. Did you enjoy working on this project? Yes, it's um, it was one of those projects where at first, as you dive deeper and deeper and deeper into it, you start to get more and more upset because, <laughs> at least for me, I started wondering. <laughs> I didn't realise that so much productivity gain had been captured by... Um, by profits. By profits, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, and and this was, has been happening, obviously, over the course of the last hundred years. Mm. Um, and really... Um, these, none of this, I, I think what really upset me was how this, the four day week is often framed as a radical idea, yeah. particularly in media, particularly by corporations and things like that. Yeah. Um, when in actuality it is, if anything, a conservative um, result of um, what Keynes outlined over 100 years ago at this point. Yeah. Um, in his We're report. not talking about a 15-hour yeah. week here and a four-day week still 30, 32 hours, right? Exactly. Personally, I'm hoping that we get to a 15-hour week. <laughs> I've got a lot of hobbies and they all require time. Keynesians unite, absolutely. Yes, exactly. And look, I think it's such a great point to finish on, Sam. I remember bringing this up, and I won't name names, but I brought this up at a conference a few years ago. Um, and it was a panel on women's uh, economic security in the workforce. There were union representatives on that panel. And I said, do any of you see the four-day week as a solution to some of mm. these problems? And one of Australia's leaders of the union movement said to me, oh, well, I think that's a bit of a radical idea. Mm. To which my response was, well, at one point, so was the weekend, right? Exactly. one point, so was the eight-hour mm. day. If we don't fight for these things, we don't get them. Uh, and it's really a key part of making a fairer Australia. Exactly. Well, thanks so much, Sam, and thanks for the amazing work you've done on this project. I am um, very lucky... Well, partly lucky, partly I'm good at recruitment, um, <laughs> to work with people that can bring um, my ideas to life and can put some real rigour into the processes that we bring uh, to our analysis. So congratulations on a fantastic report. Do look it up. Uh, it's called Sharing the Spoils and it's uh, the gender lens analysis of the four-day week trial at our community. It's on Per Capita's website. Um, and again, if you are a company or if you're involved in an organisation that's thinking of moving to a four-day week, get in touch with us at info at per capita.org.au. That's all we have time for today. Thanks again for coming on the show, Sam. Thanks so much. And thank you, all of our listeners, for joining us. A big thank you to all of those who tuned into our federal budget analysis back on the 12th of May. If you missed it, it's now available on the Per Capita YouTube page. And if you'd like to learn more about this report, head over to our website, percapita.org.au. Join us next time when we continue to examine inequality and work towards a fairer Australia. And remember, the four-day week is just the beginning of reclaiming what you're owed.